0: Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and
1: sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis
0: Public Radio. I'm Elaine Chow. St. Louis is in an unusual position of having a lot of extra money, primarily from a settlement from the departure of the St. Louis Rams. City leaders also got some more positive news last year with a drop in violent crime and a nearly 21 percent decline in homicides. Even with the good news, St. Louis policymakers still have a lot of work to do to fully address some long-standing problems. That includes caring for a large homeless population, making streets safer for pedestrians, and dealing with tensions between police and marginalized communities. Joining us in studio today is the person who gets the lion's share of the credit or blame for the city's trajectory. St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones. Madam Mayor, welcome to the Politically Speaking Hour on St. Louis on the Air.
1: Thank you for having me, it's good to see you.
0: Good to see you too. Uh, Last year there were 158 homicides compared to 200 in 2022. What are some of the factors that led to the 2023 drop in violent crime and homicides?
1: Well, I would say it's a few things, and it's several things all working at once. So we started the Office of Violence Prevention in 2022 and hired Will Pinckney as its director. Will's Primary responsibility is to work with grassroots organizations on the ground on violence interruption. Find out what the communities need, um, and deploy resources in those in 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 those neighborhoods. So we have uh, the cops and clinicians program that ha- that pairs a behavioral health professional with an officer. Um, we just launched back in November a non-police response, uh, which is just behavioral health. Um, professionals, uh, as well as our uh, our investment in youth and young people, because our gun incidents with young people is down 50 percent. Um, and we got a new police chief uh, who believes in data and following the data. Um, and uh, he's been here for a year. So it's a whole host of things working in tandem and working with community that led to that uh, precipitous decrease.
0: The union that represents most St. Louis police officers, as of a month ago, reported there are still around 326 officer vacancies. And We've just talked about the drop in crime rates. To what extent do you think that these vacancies are a big deal toward continuing that momentum?
1: Well, absolutely. We could we could use more officers. We can use more uh, other employees. Uh, we have a total of about 1,700 vacancies uh, in the city total. Uh, but talk to any mayor across the country and they'll tell you the same thing, that they have uh, the largest number of vacancies in police officers that they've seen um, probably in decades, as well as a uh, and open open positions uh, in city government. So we're all struggling.
0: Well, I think one of the reasons why St. Louis is unique is just the way the, the region is spread out. Not only do you mm-hmm. have St. Louis County police right next to you, which probably pays more depending on your experience, but you also have municipal police departments. Let's just say the O'Fallon Police Department in St. Charles, right. which may pay better and is just frankly a different job than patrolling the north or south side of St. Louis. Is that just a, a type of job tension that is just never going to go away and the city is never going to be able to be competitive to some of those other places.
1: Well, we are somewhat competitive. Uh, j- also last year, we increased pay um, for the first time in 20 years. Um, uh, that is the largest increase in 20 years uh, for our officers for their starting salaries and also for their uh, for their steps up. Um, and what we saw was 14 officers come back to the force from those other municipalities. Um, and we also uh, are taking Taking a different approach to our uh, academy classes, we're doing them on a rolling basis rather than just to wait until the academy class is full and then do the class. Uh, and so we saw four academy classes graduate also in 2023. Um, so we're we're doing everything that we can to uh, address uh, recruitment and retention um, uh, fit that's physically possible within our within our reach.
0: So we've received a lot of questions from listeners, particularly about public safety, including one from Reddit from Mom 500 Why is the police department driving so badly? Why are there no oversight of multiple accidents that they take no responsibility for? How many auto accidents are too many? And this is a reference to several high-profile incidents, including when a police car crashed into Bar PM in South St. Louis and a police mm-hmm. cruiser hit a church sign and, mm-hmm. and then apparently tried to cover it up. What is going on with the way some police officers are driving in the city of St. Louis? Because this has caused a lot of concern and attention.
1: Well, um, I let me start with, I, I feel for those who, who have been impacted by any accident uh, that has uh, happened with our, our officers. Uh, but the second part is, our cars have changed. We used to drive Impalas. Now we drive Tahos. And those are pretty difficult to steer um, in difficult situations. So um, uh, could police actually benefit from, or, or I would say, our new police benefit from more hours um, with Tahoe's to get used to how they operate, how they, how they move, how they turn. Absolutely. Um, but we also have to realize these are different and larger vehicles that we're that we're driving nowadays versus back in the past.
0: I was watching an interview with Police Chief Tracy in KSDK, and he said to the reporter that, and I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. here there wouldn't have been as big of an outcry for a toxicology request for the officers in the car that slammed into Bar PM if it wasn't a bar that's well-known in the LGBTQ community. You saw those comments. What what do you make of them?
1: Well, I I think what happened is... uh there's already a fractured relationship between police officers and the LGBTQ plus community. And unfortunately, that accident just exacerbated or tore a band off of an open wound that hadn't healed correctly in the first place. Uh, so we have taken uh, the necessary steps to help um, our PM, our um, Building division director Frank Oswald has been down to meet with them uh, to to offer architectural services as as they rebuild and repair uh, the damage done by the vehicle. So um, we are taking the necessary steps to make them whole. But do
0: you think that the do you agree with what the police chief said there? Like I think a lot of people were kind of taken aback because I mean, let me just put it this way: if a Richmond Heights police officer crashed into my house. The first thing that would go into my mind, too, is was that officer under the influence? I don't think it really matters if it's an LGBTQ bar situation. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a startling situation that you want to know why did this happen, basically.
1: Well, I mean, we we had a conversation with the officer and he Felt uh, horrible about um, about what happened, and uh, and he admitted that he was distracted while driving. Uh, that happens to the best of us. None of us have perfect driving records,
0: myself included. I want to point that out. <laughs> uh, Reddit user indiff. One of my favorite parts of the show is just reading the Reddit usernames. The by usernames, the way, right. the usernames are are great. Is the mayor concerned that Chief Tracy is receiving a significant amount of money from an interest group that may influence policing decisions? And that references the fact that Chief Tracy receives $100,000 a year from the Police Foundation, which is funded, I think, with from the regional mm-hmm. business community. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Kohler, ProPublica, highlighted this arrangement earlier this month and, and found its Somewhat unusual in the law enforcement space. This is not a secret. Your your office actually pointed this out in a press release. Right. But do you feel confident that there is no undue influence on the chief with this arrangement? And so why?
1: I absolutely do because if you read the contract, um, which has also been out in the public, is that the Police Foundation is asking him to be present at community meetings and do an annual community report. That's, but that's already in Chief Tracy's blood. That's what he does. And so, no, I am not concerned. Um, But I will say this: our our salary cap at the city capped stopped at one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars, and I wanted to attract. Um, one of the best police chiefs in the country, um, and we had to raise the salary some way. Uh, and remember, we have parity, so anytime you raise the police officer salaries, you have to raise firefighter salaries. And so the raise that we made with the police chief to get to one seventy-five, we also had to do that with the fire chief. So this could be very, this could get very, very expensive. Um, but the average police chief salary around the country for a city our size. Is in the two hundreds, and if we want to attract talent, um, then we have to uh, we have to find innovative ways in order to do so. Um, I want to talk
0: about uh, automated traffic devices, which mm-hmm. is you know red light cameras are in that, but it's right. not just red it's light cameras. Red. Exactly. Um, a twenty seventeen Missouri Supreme Court ruling ruled them unconstitutional in the way they were being done at the time, but right. they but basically you can set them up. In, in a in a way where, like, the camera shows the driver driving the car. Right. And I, I think you support bringing them back. Is First of all, is that true? And if so, why do you think it's important to bring them back? I,
1: I think it's important to bring uh, automated camera enforcement back, uh, particularly because we do have an officer shortage. Um, we want to make sure that we are supplementing um, our enforcement with, uh, with technology. Um, and we've done that with just regular cameras. That's how we've been able to, and license plate readers. That's how we've been able to solve some crimes and track some people down. Um, but I think what's going to be different this time is uh, people didn't feel like they had due process. And so we will try, we are making sure that people have due process to prove that, you know, no, that was not me driving the car, obviously, because you can see the person's face and not the, the back of their head like the previous cameras were. Um, But also, uh, we're not trying to make a whole boatload of money off of this either. Uh, The money that we do bring in uh, after we pay for municipal court fees is going to go into a traffic safety fund that's going to fund more of our traffic safety measures across the city.
0: Do you know how it's functionally going to work and whether people can get around it by, like, wearing a hat or wearing sunglasses or wearing a mask or something like that? Or is that just so granular right now before you actually pay? To implement that. Right.
1: First, we have to pass the bill, and then we have to issue an RFP, and they will see what kind of technology is out there. Um, from the different vendors. Uh, and I'm sure that they have dealt with uh, with this in other cities.
0: We posted a video last year about the possible return of red light cameras. And, and to say that the response was frankly overwhelming would be an understatement. In addition to getting like 52,000 views on Instagram, there were nearly 266 comments, some which admittingly wanted red light cameras back, but a lot of them As I'm sure that you're not surprised, we're we're pretty negative on the idea. For example, Cheryl Frank said, I am for anything that makes the streets safer. But for Pete's sake, where is the police presence in the city? My husband and I have lived here for eight years and rarely see any police unless they were hired as a third party for an event. Now, I'm sure that that experience is not universal. I'm sure people have seen police all the time. Mm -hmm. But what would you make not only of that concern, but maybe of broader concerns that You're using a private entity, which is, you know, a red light camera company to do what should be a public function, which is policing traffic.
1: Well, uh we do have our police policing traffic. Um, our ticket writing is back up to pre-pandemic levels. Um, and obviously, we slowed down during the pandemic because of the interaction between uh, police. You know, we didn't want them to get sick. We did have an officer actually almost die from COVID from a traffic stop, you know, because he caught COVID that way. Um, so our, we, but we are using the data to uh, to determine where we are deploying our, uh, our traffic enforcement officers.
0: We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones. This is the Politically Speaking Hour on St. Louis on the Air. Welcome back to the Politically Speaking Hour on St. Louis on the Air. We now return to our conversation with Tishara Jones, the mayor of St. Louis. Um, One of the areas where there seems to be maybe some differences of opinion between you and the Board of Aldermen is now scuttled legislation that would have addressed the city's policies toward homelessness. And there were a lot of things in these bills, including the creation of intentional encampments, restrictions on breaking up encampments, and very major changes to how shelters would be approved. So when I was talking with your spokesperson before these bills got shelved, he mentioned to me that you had a lot of misgivings about these bills. So I, I want to ask you directly, rather than going through a spokesperson, mm-hmm. what was kind of your, I guess, heartburn over these proposals?
1: Well, uh, I would prefer to uh, address uh, homelessness uh, by its root causes. Um, and that means making sure that we are providing uh, as much um, uh Uh, temporary and transitional housing as possible. Uh, If you have seen the Jefferson spaces um, that's on um, Cass and Jefferson, or Martin Luther King and Jefferson. I'm sorry. Uh, there, we expanded that village from 50 to 100 homes, and the average length of stay for an unhoused neighbor that uh, interacts with uh, our Jefferson spaces, which uh, receives also wraparound services, is about four to six months. Um, the uh, vendor that's there, the Magdala Foundation, does wonderful work uh, trying to make um, our neighbors whole again. So that's getting them their ID, getting them access to med- Medicaid, if they qualify, finding permanent housing for them through the housing authority or other other partners that help um, that help with uh, permanent and supportive housing. So I would rather uh, tackle it that way. And then also, we shoulder the burden of caring for our unhoused uh, for the entire region. And that's not sustainable.
0: Yeah, that's actually my—you you read my mind. <laughs> You're good, you're good, mind reader, Madam Mayor. Uh, What sort of discussions have you had with St. Louis County Executive Sam Page about the county actually providing either money or actual places where homeless people can go so that you are not having to deal with the problem yourself? Because I live in St. Louis County. There are homeless people in St. Louis County. There's a lot. But it seems like it's always the city's responsibility to come up with the policy.
1: Exactly. And it's always the city's responsibility to come up with all of the shelters and the city's responsibility to come up with all of the everything, right? Uh, Fill in the blank. And so um, I became chair of East-West Gateway Council of Governments um, for your listeners' uh, edification. That is uh, all of the county executives from O'Fallon, Missouri to O'Fallon, Illinois. Um, And And we meet monthly and last year I called on them to do a regional crime summit to talk about crime as a regional issue because crime doesn't stop at our borders, especially not St. Louis's borders and so we're moving forward on a crime strategy there. Next I'm going to call for a a serious conversation about how we can all pull together to help our unhoused because it is a regional issue. What we find when we um, uh, uh, do our point in time count of where people come from. Over 50% or more come from outside of the city. And I'm not saying that we don't want to take care of them, but it's not sustainable for the city to shoulder the, the burden for the entire region.
0: Well, let me just throw out a potential idea. Is it possible to maybe partner with, say, a bordering St. Louis County municipality and then have the city, the county, and that municipality help pay collectively for shelter space within the county's borders? Because the big Reason that I've always been told why St. Louis County doesn't operate their own shelters in St. Louis County is they would have to build an unincorporated St. Louis County. So that's either South County or it's North St. Louis County. And frankly, both of those places are going to, there's going to be public opposition to that. Whereas there may be less public opposition in places like Maplewood, Richmond Heights, Brentwood. What about that particular
1: idea? Well, where we found that there's not a lot of public opposition is tiny home villages. Mm-hmm. Um, we built a new tiny home village with the uh, help of the Veterans Community Project just on North Grand. And if anybody hasn't seen it, they are beautiful uh, little homes uh, for our veterans. And they provide wraparound services to help our veterans get back on their feet. Same thing with Jefferson Spaces. What If, if I had a magic wand, I would have tiny home villages around the region with um, uh, wraparound services because we do have enough vendors and enough uh, social service agencies um, and nonprofit organizations that can help take care of our unhoused no matter where they fall into vulnerable positions.
0: I do want to go back to the legislation, which I think is going to be talked about over the next few months. Like Right now, if somebody wants to open up a shelter in the city They have to get signatures of 51% of the people that live within 500 feet. Mm -hmm. Doesn't this unquestionably make it much more difficult to open shelters? And is that an idea worth exploring about changing that process?
1: Well, it absolutely is. Um, We are... um, uh, you know, we uh, St. Louis has a platen petition process for a couple of other uh, things as well. Uh, we are tomorrow. The Board of Aldermen is debating the excise bill or changes to excise because it you, it requires a platen petition process for 350 feet if you're going to open a restaurant. And
0: would the same process apply for tiny tiny homes too?
1: Um, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if it does. Be, but um Jefferson Spaces has been there for you know before my administration, and I just expanded it.
0: Well, I want to move on to some money matters, and maybe this is more exciting than talking about the problems that have plagued the city for decades. Um, let's talk about MetroLink expansion first. Yes. Okay. Um, particularly building a line that goes north and south. Mm-hmm. How realistic is it for the city to pursue that project, and what discussions have you had with the federal government about getting a match?
1: So. Um I would say it is realistic. We have been saving uh, putting money in our savings account uh, through um, uh, prop, uh, I want to say prop s.
0: Yes. In fact, I actually asked Paul mm-hmm. Payne about that. there's eighty one there will be eighty one million dollars available by the end of the fiscal year. right we continue.
1: And our portion uh, for this particular project, which is one point one billion, is ninety million. Um, so we have been in conversation with the Department of Transportation, with the FTA. Um, uh, I've been in direct conversation with Secretary Buttigieg um, about this project, and um, I, I do believe that it is uh, it's doable. Um, and, uh, you know, been, I've been working with uh, Bi-State and Talby Roach. Uh, we've been in several presentations together to the Department of Transportation, and the one thing that um, they enjoyed about our presentation was a couple of things, but number one was that there's planned development along the route, Uh, so that uh, deals with ridership questions. Uh, Number two, that uh, Talby and I are coming together for this project, uh, that they don't have to wonder if the uh, transit authority doesn't agree with the mayor's office. Um, and number three, it meets uh, the Justice 40 uh, conditions, the economic uh, uh, Justice 40 um, executive order that President Biden signed shortly after he got into office uh, that gives more points to projects that address neighborhoods that are marginalized or disinvested.
0: So I've seen some rumblings from from what I would classify as mass transit enthusiasts, who have said that they would prefer bus rapid transit over light rail expansion, for our listeners, that it's more or less dedicated bus lanes, and you've seen that in mm-hmm. other cities. What do you think of that idea?
1: Well, I want to keep my promise to the people in North St. Louis. We started collecting money in this tax and told them that we would build them a MetroLink, and um, and to build them bus rapid transit would not be keeping their keeping our promise to them.
0: We've also received a lot of questions about the RAM settlement, including this one from Reddit user queequeg789. Now that we've voted on how to spend the NFL money, when can we expect detailed proposals and actionable plans? There's been some of the vote some of the proposals include fixing the city's water mains, providing raises for city employees, subsidized childcare for residents, Uh, Do you have any preferences on how the Rams funds should be spent in the near and long term?
1: So I I think people should... Uh, recognize that a a couple of things. Number one, that we still have ARPA money to spend that that has a date certain of when we have to spend it, which is December 31st, 2026. And we have to have it obligated by the end of this year. So we are laser focused on making sure that we spend every dollar of the money that we receive from the American Rescue Plan.
0: And some of that could be spent on water main related things. There's not enough
1: money between what we have in ARPA and the Rams money to be to spend to spend on. What needs what the water department needs. Fair, That's a... fair enough. But, <laughs> um, but the other piece um, of that is, uh, if if I had a magic wand, I would set aside a bulk of it for a municipal endowment fund, and we would live off the interest for many many years to come. It is my um, as you know, I I have I majored in finance. Um, when I was in college and worked in investment banking. And so as a former banker, I am trying to see how we can uh, keep a a good chunk of it uh, to make sure that we are prepared financially for anything to come down the road. This is one-time money, so you have to be careful about how you spend one-time money. Because,
0: okay, I know that city employees need more money. We've talked on the Politically Speaking podcast about corrections – Employees, but it doesn't seem to me that using the Rams money for ongoing things like salaries or daycare is going to be sustainable.
1: It's not. It's not smart, and it's not sustainable. And city employees have received a nine percent increase under my under under my mayoralship. So
0: yeah, I, I I'm not trying yeah. to say you haven't, but mm-hmm. I am trying to say that there's still probably people that want more of a raise because of inflation, like you know, everybody right now. Right, right. I actually want to play this clip that St. Louis on the Air producer Maya Norfleet received from Kelly McGowan, who runs the nonprofit Transform 314.
1: It has been documented that Black residents are the largest group leaving the city, with 63 Black families leaving the city every month since, I believe, 2019. Why do you think this is happening? And how is your administration working to address this issue? Yes. Yeah, so I, um, I know several black families that have left St. Louis and they leave it for a myriad of reasons, uh, for opportunity. They leave it uh, for educational opportunities for their children. Um, you know, there are there, and, and, uh, and let's, let's, let's just be frank. St. Louis isn't always the most welcoming city for people of color, Um, So uh, what am I doing? We are having those conversations with some of the families who've left and asking them why. Uh, We're doing focus groups with the people who have decided to stay, asking them um, what should we do differently as a region, as a as an administration to help you to help you stay. Um, And uh, we take this seriously. You know, uh, if you look between the 2010 and 2020 census, tens of thousands of black families have left. Um, And so we need to provide better opportunities for people to stay. Um, We need to build more housing um, and affordable and safe housing. Um, And we need to uh, make sure that we're making a market investment um, in uh, in opportunity for people to stay.
0: I I think you mentioned schools. I mean, very candidly, you know this. I left Mm -hmm. St. Louis City because of the schools, because my son has developmental disabilities, and the special education system is better in the county than the city. And anybody would tell you that. But I feel like that is probably a big reason why, not special education, but just the schools in general. I understand you don't have control over the schools, but you do have a bully pulpit. Is there anything that you want to do with your administration to help St. Louis- Public schools.
1: Well, I started as treasurer when I started the College Kids Children Savings Account program uh, to provide uh, educational savings accounts for children in public schools, uh, whether that was district or charter. Um, you know, I, again, as you said in your question, I'm not responsible for the schools, but I am responsible for the environment that our children come from, so they can show up ready to learn every day. So, what can I do? I can uh, clean up neighborhoods and build new housing. Um, I can make sure there's less vacancy. I can make sure uh, that parents have access to good uh, working uh, working wage jobs so they can take care of their family. Um, We can make sure that our streets are safe and and we can uh, put an emphasis on public safety. We can also make sure that our youth and young people have things to do um, when their parents are at work or or on the weekends and and lots of activities for them to be safe and and have fun and just be a kid.
0: So before we go, I want to talk with you about uh, your plan to veto legislation that would change how the firefighter's pension is overseen. Um, Why are you planning to do that? And what are kind of your thoughts about whether this veto could be sustained or overridden at this point in time?
1: Um, So this particular bill would overhaul the changes made to the firefighters pension in 2012. And those changes were made to save money uh, for the city uh, to reverse the significant cost increases that came with the old retirement system. Uh, If this bill uh, stands it could cost up to 16 it could it could blow a hole in our budget up up to 16 million dollars um, and we're trying to make sure that we can give our employees raises or continue to give our employees raises to continue to provide services but if you have a 16 million dollar hole that's blown in your budget uh, that that takes away basically the parks the streets and the forestry departments
0: and how would it cost that much? From reading the bill, I think it would allow the board that oversees like the old pension to oversee the new pension. Is it just the fear that they're going to recommend more generous benefits and the Board of Aldermen is going to approve them just because the firefighters are politically a very potent force, basically? Well,
1: not only that, it also goes back to state control of the firefighters' pension. Um, there are There's language in there that, that this would be a state takeover of our firefighters' pension plan. Nobody wants that because we know what the state uh, is is capable and incapable of doing, um, you know. This is, uh, again, this is this has increased the cost to a point where we can't have conversations with our unions or with our budget director about raises until this is resolved. The other piece that we need to think about is that uh, the legislature is coming after the earnings tax. So we shouldn't be passing bills to increase our costs to pension systems while we are in danger of, uh, of eliminating the earnings tax and we still have pending litigation uh, for the remote worker part of the earnings tax
0: tishara jones is the mayor of the city of st louis madam mayor thank you so much for joining us thank today. thank you for having me this episode was produced by jason rosenbaum
1: our audio engineer is aaron Dorr. this podcast was mixed and edited by aaron
0: our executive producer is alex hoyer St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group.
1: Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And
0: leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
1: Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more.